0: Hey, good morning. You can have a seat, but you probably already know that. So we're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, so if you want to use the Bibles that are in the room, it's page, I think it's 574, page 575. 74 will get you near there, all right? I'm pretty certain of it. And um, today we're building on what we talked about last week, and if you'll remember, what we talked about last week was that uh, grief, when we embrace grief, it has an opportunity to actually open the door to hope. And hope actually has the possibility to open the door to courage. And courage always opens the door to living a courageous life. So if we as the body of Christ want to live this courageous life, we have to realize that grief is going to be a part of that life. Because grief is what happens when you lose something that you love or someone that you love or a situation that you love. So grief is a normal part of our lives because we are lovers, just period. That's who we are. But when I allow grief to kiss hope, hope opens the door to courage. Courage allows me to live, which means it allows me to love more instead of getting stuck back here and saying, I'm not going to grieve. And so that hope is really essential. And what we talked about last week is that hope isn't an empty hope, like I hope it gets better. But it's a hope in the return of Christ that when he comes back, he's going to make all things new, that death is going to be done with, that he's going to rise those, raise up those who have died. And even us, we're going to be not renewed, we're going to be made new. The heavens and the earth are not going to be renewed, they're going to be made new. It's going to be a party. And like, we are a people that have hope that that party is about to happen. So this week, when we go into 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, it's building on this return of Christ. And there are three things that we're going to talk about today. Just three things. When it comes to the return of Christ, when is the wrong question? The second thing we're going to talk about is you live in a world that doesn't believe he's coming, so get prepared for that. And finally, get dressed for the party now. You with me? Okay. Do y'all understand that? Can I just close in prayer and we can go home? Okay, Jenny, come on up. Jenny Gilbert, y'all know Jenny? Yes, uh, come on, guys, even with masks on, you can support Jenny. She is going to read the passage for us. Did you bring a Bible, Jenny? Do you know what? Oh, there we have a Bible. There it is. It's actually called the uh, printed Bible. So Jenny's going to read the passage for us, starting in verse one.
1: Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly, as labor pains come on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober, For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it.
0: Thank you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the word, and we pray you would allow by the power of your Holy Spirit to bring revelation to us. I pray that you don't leave us the same, that you come and do your work in our lives. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So at the very beginning of this passage, he says that the day of the Lord is like a thief that comes in at night, and uh, you never know when a thief is going to break in, because if you did, you would stop him. And also a woman going into labor and Paul's making it really clear to the Thessalonians who are probably saying, okay, our hope is in the return of the Lord that he's going to make all things new. That's a party we want to be at. When is that happening? And the first thing Paul says to them is, I don't know. In fact, uh, he says that uh, I'm not going to tell you. You don't need to know. And I kind of got a problem with that because I, I think that's a fair question. Like, don't you think that's a fair question? Like, wouldn't it be great to know when Jesus is coming back? Like, would you want to know if I told you I had a dream last night and he gave me the date that he's coming back, would you want me to give it to you? Yes? No? Come on, express something. So, yeah, because, I mean, think about the amount of ice cream that you would eat if you knew he was coming back in a month. I mean, we would call it the Apocalypse 20. You know, it would be... We would build it up or, you know, maybe you would run up your credit card or go buy that boat on credit that you've always wanted. Don't have to pay it back. Woohoo! You know, or maybe you would do something crazy like you would run up and down 12 South and tell everybody Jesus is coming back in 30 days. I don't know. Maybe you would feel like that if you knew when, then it would alter the now. Well, it wasn't just Paul who wasn't interested in giving us a win. We also find it in Jesus. Jesus was committed to informing us, the church, that you're never going to know when Jesus is going to return. In fact, if you turn on the television set and somebody tells you, I know when Christ is coming back, they're contradicting Jesus. Listen to what he says in Mark chapter 13, verse 32, but about the day or hour, no one knows. This is Jesus talking. No one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the son, but only the father. Jesus saying, I don't even know we could get into the theology of all that, but just grasp this. We don't know, and he's not going to let us know. In Acts chapter 1, verse 7, this is Jesus. He, he had resurrected, and he's appearing before the disciples, and they're all saying, when is this going to get wrapped up? And he says, it's not for you to know the time or date the Father has set by his own authority. It's not for you to know. Then Matthew chapter 24, verse 40, 43, Jesus says it again. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come, and then he goes on to tell a story that you can go read about a master and his servants. So the question is, why? Why why doesn't Jesus want you to know? Why is Paul saying to you, the church, when is the wrong question? And is it because he wants us to live in a state of fear? So I grew up in the South, and um, I dated a lot of Baptist girls for some reason. And I don't know why... (laughs) They're, they were just more Baptist girls, you know, and I had to find somebody who would go out with me. And uh, I remember sitting in a church and a preacher saying that uh, the reason that we don't want, that Jesus doesn't want us to know when is because it keeps us in a state of readiness. And then he went on to say, that's why we don't go to R-rated movies. And I was like, whoa, what? Where did, hey, hello, what? And he goes, I want you to imagine that you're sitting in an R-rated movie sinning, and and you're in the theater, and Jesus comes back. Wouldn't you be ashamed? I thought, good Lord, what? And then he goes, I want you to imagine another situation. You're at a bar with friends, and you're about to take a sip of a beer, sinning, and Jesus comes back. And I was like, this Jesus coming back is really scary stuff. Like, you need to be prepared, and I started thinking in my mind, what are other situations that would be incredibly embarrassing for me if Jesus came back at that moment? Like stepping out of the shower. That would be really, uh, wouldn't it? Like, oh, hello, there you are. Excuse me, let me grab a towel. That's how my mind works. It's, have you ever seen Arrested Development? Who's the guy in Arrested Development that's the never-nude? like Tobias, you'd probably be a never-nude. What if, just go with me here, what if you not knowing when isn't to scare you, but it's actually for your good? What if when Jesus says that your Father is working all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose, even in this, that it would hurt you to know when, that it would not be good for you to know when? And how could that be possible? Well, let's try to get our hands around What's behind the win question? It isn't the win question the the idea that where I'm at right now is so painfully difficult that I, if I knew when, then I could hang on until he comes? Isn't the win question a hang on question? Have you ever been on a long road trip with little kids in the back seat, and they're always saying, "Hey, when are we going to get there? When are we going to get there?" And the parents, you know, we've got movies, we've got books, let's crayon, let's sing songs, you know. When you start to worry is when your spouse looks at you and goes, when are we going to get there? <laughs> because now your ally in the wind has now turned dark, you know. And now we've moved from this is an adventure to we're hanging on. Are we going to make it? I can tell you that when our kids were little, um, this is just a bonus story. It has nothing to do with what we're preaching on, but... Uh, we were on a 10-hour trip to go to our parents' house for Christmas. We were literally 30 minutes from Renee's parents' house, and I had to pull the car over and go for a 20-minute walk in the park. <laughs> I know. I was like, she goes, where are you going? I said, like, trust me, it's good for everybody for me to get out of the car right now. I'll be back. I think what Jesus is saying is that His church is not a hang-on community. We're not made to hang on. In fact, we're just the opposite of that. We're not the community that goes into survival mode. We're the community that goes into fully living mode. In other words, do you know that if you're in Christ today, you have power? You have supernatural spiritual power that is working in your life. Do you know that? Do you know that if you're a believer here today, that you have riches Do you know that in Ephesians chapter 2, it talks about Paul is praying. This is what Paul prays. I pray that your eyes would be open, that you would know the riches that you have. He says, I'm pleading with God that you would realize how rich you are. Do you know that if you're in Christ today, that you have the Holy Spirit in you? And you know who the Holy Spirit is? He's the Holy Spirit. It's the third member of the Trinity that's living inside of you. This is the author of creation. This is the one who has named all the stars because he made them all. Do you know that if you're in Christ today, that Christ has moved into your life? And In fact, Paul said, it's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. That's your reality. And when Christ moved in, he brought this huge treasure chest of faith. Face a gift. He brought this huge treasure chest of love and this huge treasure chest of hope. And he says, kick them open. Come on, kick them open. Kick them open. He goes, do you know how powerful these things are? Use them. Spend them. You are rich beyond your wildest imagination. Now go and spend. That's the life of the church. We're not made to hang on. Are you kidding me? We're the people that move into this world with faith, hope, and love. And we're going to talk about it in a minute, but you will never move into the world with faith, hope, and love until you know who you are. In other words, it takes faith, hope, and love for you to know who you are first. First. It takes almost all of that to know who you are. But when you know who you are, the world won't be able to handle you. I'm just telling you. You'll become crazy people. But most of you don't know who you are. And let me tell you why. Because you look at your life and you see obstacles in your life that you go, Too much. Too much. And you settle. And you let these things in your life just kind of live there. Like some of you, you have addictions in your life. And you've just stepped away and said, it's too much. And you've made peace with it. And the people in your family have made peace with the fact that you've made peace with your addiction. And you're not dealing with your sin. But trust me, everybody in your life is dealing with your sin. Some of you have really hard relationships. Like some of you are married. And your marriage is horrible. And you're going, too much. You've kind of washed your hands and said, we just need to settle. We just need to figure out this is as good as it's going to get. Some of you, and I, this one's a hard one, because if you've ever had a friend that struggles with this one, you know this is, this is a hard one, and I'm not diminishing it at all, but some of you struggle with deep depression, and you've walked away from it and said too much. Some of you are in debt over your head, and you're like, it's too much. Some of you deal with fear and anxiety. Like, you got a pretty mask on this morning. <laughs> like, isn't it funny that the church is wearing a mask when we've preached against the church wearing a mask for my entire ministry. Some of you have a lot of fear of anxiety and anxiety. You have fear of fear. You have fear of anxiety, and you have anxiety about your anxiety. Some of you are profoundly lonely, too much. Some of you have been sinned against so profoundly and so deeply that you've decided it is impossible for you to forgive the people that have hurt you. Is that forgiveness? Too much. Some of you don't know what your call is. You don't know what your gifts are. You don't know the place that the Lord has called you to be in this world. So you've settled for a job because you've said it's too much. (laughs) This is the one that I love. Some of you are just bored out of your mind. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Life is just like, you got to be kidding me. You're like a zombie just going through every day and they just kind of blend together. And here's the question I have for you. Is it possible that when God says, I'm not going to tell you when because you weren't made to hang on, you were made to walk into all those things with faith, hope, and love, you were to see these things not as obstacles but as opportunities. What if every one of those things in your life that you say is too much is actually the doorway into the thing that you most deeply desire? What if... What if that thing that you look at and you go, that's impossible. That's actually the gateway into the life that God's calling you to live. Is that too much for us to grasp? Because if you are agreeing with me up here, then you'll still go home and hang on. But if you'll agree with me in here, then you're gonna go home and go, okay, here we go. I read an article this week Uh, About this woman, and I want you to know that I could care less what you weigh. This is not a story about weight. If you make it about weight, um, I'm going to just, it's not, all right? I could care less. But this woman, she was a single mom of two little bitty kids, and she was about 100 pounds overweight. And she decided that I don't want to be like this anymore. That was a mountain that she couldn't climb. And she says, I'm going to climb it. And so she went on a journey, and the story is about, and you've read these before, that she lost all the weight as a single mom working two different jobs, yet she still found time somehow to work out, diet, and lose weight. And listen to what she said. And here's what's crazy is I'm going to read it to you, and it's not going to surprise you. In fact, if I told you, would you tell me what you think she said? One of you would probably get it right, probably all of you. She said, the journey of losing weight, the journey of losing the weight changed my life more than actually losing the weight. Do you get that? Do you believe that? Are you shocked by that? What if the journey of you facing the obstacles in your life and the impossible situations in your life with faith, love, and hope, the journey is going to change your life more than actually getting through those obstacles? See, I don't think you're ever going to understand the power of faith until you understand how deeply you need it. You're never going to understand the power of love until, until you really have to use it. And if you don't know how powerful hope is, it's because you've never been in a situation in your life and you've probably never allowed yourself to be in a situation in your life to where hope was needed more than anything else in the world. I, I, I just say this: that if you've never said, I need hope like a man who's dying of thirst in the desert, then then you have so insulated yourself from what's going on in this world. You you have so insulated yourself and you've COVID in, you know, to where you don't realize that this world is dying because of a lack of hope. This John Calvin is one of the theologians that we lean on around here. Um, And uh, he wrote the Institutes very clever guy, and he said that that it's the task of the church to make the invisible kingdom of God visible. We do that by living in such a way that we bear witness to the reality of the kingship of Christ in our jobs, our family, our school, and even our checkbooks. Well, we don't have checkbooks anymore, but you know because God in Christ is king over every one of these fears of life. The only way the kingdom of God is going to be manifested in this world before Christ comes is if we manifest it by the way we live as citizens of heaven and subject of the king. Wow. So the first thing is, when is the wrong question? We're not hang on community. We're in a live community. And this waiting for the Lord to come back, we wait alive. The second is we live in a world that doesn't believe this. And he goes on to say, but brothers and sisters, um, but you brothers and sisters are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You shouldn't be surprised when he comes back. You're all children of light and children of the day. We don't belong to the night or to the darkness. So then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. Wake up. When you leave this service or when you get dressed, if you're at home watching this in your pajamas and you get dressed and you go outside, you're going to walk out into a world that doesn't believe that Jesus is coming. It doesn't believe what you believe. The world is like, they're not waiting around for the return of Christ. They think it's a fairy tale. They think it's this silly story that comes out of an ancient book that somebody made up. That the reality of Christ and you, the hope of glory, are you kidding me? So one of, my, um, one of the things on my bucket list, are there things that you want to do when COVID is over? <clears throat> you know, are, maybe you got some of those things. Like, yes, I've got some things. One of the things that I want, I want to go to Bonnaroo, I, I do. Has anybody been to Bonnaroo? No? And, but I want to go to Bonnaroo in comfort. Like, I'm not going to sleep in any tent, man. I want, I want to do the RV. I want the VIP pass in the back, you know. I, I want the soundproof RV so I can be a bed by 11, you know. But really, I want to go to Bonnaroo, and I want to do one thing. There's a thing that I've seen online that happens at Bonnaroo that I think would be so much fun, and that's to go to the silent disco. Have you seen this? Has anybody been to the silent disco at Bonnaroo? Our lives are cheap and worthless. None of us live. Well, so, okay, let me tell you what it is. So you walk in. It's a big tinted area. It is a tinted disco. But, when, but there's nothing, there's no noise coming out of it, um, just lights. And when you walk in, they give you a headset, and the headset is dialed to whatever the DJ is doing. <laughs> and, uh, and so everybody comes in, puts on the headset, and they just start, everybody's grooving to the music. But if you walk in with no headset, you would look at this world and go, uh, you guys are crazy. Like, what is happening in here? If you didn't know they were listening to music. That's us walking into the world. We're, we're walking into a world that is listening to a love affair that we don't, we don't play that game anymore. We're listening to a different tune now. When Scripture calls us now to love other things, we're not tuning our ears to the music that they're dancing to. We're tuning our ears to another tune that they can't hear with their, with their headphones on. And the reason that's so important, guys, is because it's so discouraging sometimes when you walk out of here and you think that when I walk out of there with what I've got in here, the two clash. And I'm telling you, they do. And if you don't know that, you could become really discouraged because this next part is really important, is that we need to get dressed for the party now. Look at verse 6. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake. In other words, let's wake up. We need to be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober. And how do we be sober? putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. This is kind of a, if you've read some of Paul's other writings in Ephesians chapter 6, he talks about, you know, put on the armor of God. And, uh, but he uses other language and other soldier apparel. And what, what Paul is really saying is he says, hey guys, we got to get dressed up. And it's this image of, you know, a soldier. We're going to battle. Um, <clears throat> and let me tell you where the, where the greatest battle is the greatest battle of faith, hope, and love in your life is believing what God says about you. If you don't believe what the Father is saying about you, you're going to leave this place, and you're going to go out in this world to figure out who you are. You're going to go out in this world, and you're going to try to prove who you are instead of hearing what he says about you and by faith believing that and by love receiving that and by hope living in that so that you go now live who you are rather than go out there to find out who you are. There's a profound difference between being people that know we are loved and people that are out in the world looking for love. If you're unwilling to accept what he is saying about you, then everything about your faith now becomes a way of trying to earn something that you already have rather than living in the power of what is already yours. I mean, let's think about it for a minute. What, where does faith come from? If we had time this morning, we could talk about Galatians, and Galatians talks about that faith is a gift from God. God brings you faith as a gift. And what is faith? Well, faith is just the ability to trust something. Faith is the ability to uh, put my hope in something else. See, it's not the, the amount of faith that you have that matters. It's what you've put your faith in. And when Jesus gives me faith, he gives me faith to have faith in him. So, for example, if if I'm a mountain climber and I'm on the side of a mountain and I've got a rope, maybe you've done this where you've rock climbed and repelled, and you've got all the faith in the world and the rope that's holding you that's going to hold you on the side of that mountain, but it's an old rod and rope, I don't care how much faith you have If that rope's about to break, your faith is not going to keep that rope from not breaking. See, it's not the amount of faith that you have. It's what your faith is in that has power. Maybe give you another example. When we were, well, this was almost two years ago now. um, I was over in Africa visiting my daughter. And I'd flown into, she was living in Uganda at the time. And I'd flown into southern Uganda, which is Kampala. Through major airlines, um, but to get to where she lived in northern Uganda near Sudan, I had to take these small airplanes, and so I remember getting up really early the next morning, and I caught a Uber over to, uh, it wasn't Uber, but uh, over to the landing or the airport that I had to catch this flight. It was basically a dirt field, and I'm sitting at a picnic table, that was their waiting room, uh, under a tree, and this plane pulls up, and it's this small plane with just two props, and this guy jumps out, and he looks like he wouldn't be old enough to get a driver's license here in Tennessee, and he goes, hey, I'm, I'm your pilot, and uh, we're going north, and jump in, and I'm looking at that plane going, we're going to die. Like, Like, this is going to be the story. Like, that would be an epic story, though. You know, pastor goes down in flame of glory in Africa. Like, that would be great. (laughs) Yes, it's true. Um, I didn't have a lot of faith in that plane. I I had about that much faith. And it was just enough faith to get me on the plane. And when I sat down on the plane, I had just enough faith to put on the seatbelt. And I had just enough faith not to get off. That was it, almost like the faith of a mustard seed. You know what that engine didn't care about? My faith. You know what that pilot didn't care about? My faith. You know what those props on the plane didn't care about? My faith. Or the landing strip? My faith. My faith got me on the plane. But what my faith was in is what carried me to northern Uganda. What if God is saying to us, you're so obsessed with how much faith you have, you've forgotten that what your faith is, In is where the power is. But it's true about love, too. We love because we're loved. Go read 1 John. We love because he first loved us. He fills our pockets with love. That's why we love. In fact, this morning, if you have a really hard time loving somebody, it may be that you don't have a loving problem. You have a being loved problem. You don't understand how much you're loved. Because if you understood how much you're loved, your pockets would be full to where you could go and actually love. But we spend so much. Wow, that was a spit, wasn't it? covid spit we spend so much of our time trying to perfect how to love thinking i'm gonna get better and i'm gonna do it watch me do it that we forget that god is saying no 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 no. the way to learn to love is to come over here and learn to be loved and when you learn to be loved then you'll learn how to love but isn't hope the same way what is the power of hope it's not that you're hopeful the power of your hope is what you have hope in so, okay, uh, i got too much to say about this because this is so vitally important because I'm trying to encourage you guys that when doesn't matter. That's not the right question. The world doesn't believe it, but it's time for us to get dressed now, dressed now with faith, hope, and love. And the greatest challenge of that is you don't believe what God is saying about you. And so you're not living who you really are because you don't believe who you really are. I've spent this time, the last few weeks, really meditating and reading this passage of Scripture in in Judges chapter 6. This is a story about a guy named Gideon. Um, I've taught it a couple of times and just been thinking a lot about it. And let me tell you a brief story of Gideon. Gideon lived in Israel, and Israel was in a bad place like a really bad place. They were up against obstacles that were too big for them, like that obstacle you were thinking about in your life that you think is too much. The, multiply that times 100, that's Israel. It was so bad that the enemy of Israel, they they not only took over the land, but they abused everybody in the land. Like they were just doing horrible things. And one of the things that they were doing that was just it was horrible, is the enemy would disappear during growing season so that all the farmers could think they're gone and plant all the seeds and nurture all the crops. And right when harvest time started to happen, the enemy would all come back in like locusts. And just when you're bringing in all your harvest from the field, they would go, thank you very much, and they would take it all. Think about how disheartening that is. Our family is gonna starve this winter because you just took everything that we harvested. Well, Gideon, we find him, and Gideon had harvested just enough wheat to stack it into a wine press. He was hiding it from the enemy. He was afraid, and he was in this wine press, and he was threshing this wheat so he could make flour. And he was hiding because he was afraid of the enemy, fearful, scared, it's too much, can't do this. And the angel of the Lord comes to him, and listen to what he says to him. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you. Hmm. Mighty warrior. You know what Gideon said? Pardon me? That's what he said in scripture. Let me translate that. Seriously? Translate it some more. Are you crazy? Do, are you looking around like look look where I'm hiding what is wrong with you then he goes on to say more he goes you want to know how wrong you are about this let me tell you this the lord is with us are you kidding why has all this happened to us you know that thing in your life that you've looked at the lord is with you are you kidding me then why am i dealing with depression the lord is with are you kidding me look at my marriage the Lord is with me? Are you kidding? Do you know how lonely I am? Are you kidding me? Look at my health. I mean, make, what is it that you're going too much, too much? The Lord is with us? And Gideon says, are you kidding me? Why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord's abandoned us, and he's given us into the hands of our enemies. Imagine you saying that to the Spirit of the Lord. Gideon was saying, you're wrong, you're a liar, and you've abandoned us. And listen to what the angel of the Lord said. Go in the strength. Go into the strength you have and save Israel. What he was saying was, Gideon, you're a mighty warrior and you don't know it, and you have strength that you have that you don't know. Now go in those two things and let God display that he hasn't abandoned you through you. Whoa. Okay. I got two minutes to finish this. And here's how I'm going to finish it. If you dare to believe what we've talked about, that Christ has changed your life, that in you is the power of the kingdom of God, for it is coming, but it's already coming. It's in you. And the world is waiting for the church to wake up. Wake up. Get sober. Do you know who you are? Do you know the strength of who you are? Do you know the love that he's placed in your life, the hope he's placed in your life, and the faith that he's given you? So (laughs) one of uh, the characters from history that I have really kind of fondly fallen in love with is a woman by the name of Elizabeth Fry. If you've been around here, I talked about her about six years ago, but she's worth talking about again. Elizabeth was born back in 1780, and uh, she was born into a wealthy family, uh, the Barclay Bank family. Yeah, we're talking bucks, you know? So she had a very privileged life, and because she was so privileged, she got married at 19. And uh, the years after that, from 19 to around 30, she had 11 kids. I know, like... Eleven kids. Listen to what she said on her 32nd birthday. This is quote: "I fear my life is slipping away to little purpose." Or oh, you can laugh at that. That's what happens when you have eleven kids. All right. So here's this woman. She's privileged. You know, she has everything that she wants. She's got a whole house full of kids. She's like, "I feel like my life is slipping away." She's in self pity oh, it's too much, it's too much. And she comes to church much like you guys have today. And she hears a sermon very similar to the one that you've heard today. And after the sermon, she goes, okay, Lord. And a friend came up to her and said, hey, Elizabeth, will you go with me? We're going to visit the women's prison outside of town this afternoon. And she said, sure. Now, let me tell you what women's prisons were like back then. If you're a woman and you're arrested, you were thrown into prison, but the prison didn't feed you. You're responsible for having your family feed you. They gave you no bed. They gave you no clothes. They gave you nothing to keep you warm. They did nothing to protect you while you are in prison. It was a free-for-all. And on top of all that, if you're a woman with children, all your children went with you to prison. So the prisons were full of all these women and all their children. Women were starving in prison. They were dying of thirst in prison. They had no clothes in prison. They had no beds to sleep on and needed their children. And it was becoming a lord of the flies inside the prison. Because those that didn't have families that uh, that were bringing them food, the ones who had family, when the food came into the prison, it was an all-out riot. Because they were fighting for survival. And so when Elizabeth got to the prison, she looked at this, and said um, to the warden, I want to go in there. And he said, no way. He said, I, this, this is one of the most dangerous places in the world. And she, she pleaded with him, let me go in. And she went in. And she came back to him an hour later and said, I'm staying the night. She spent the night. And this woman dared to believe the kingdom of God has come in me. I am, I've been given faith, and faith is more powerful than the world understands. And I've been given love. I am loved. And I have hope. I have enough hope for a prison full of women without hope. I'm staying the night. Good night. That began a lifetime work of, of Elizabeth Fry transforming women prisons all across England. She brought in clothes, food, beds. She started schools for kids that were in prison with their family. She started uh, prison reform. She even started uh, she started uh, nursing schools to train these women how to be nurses and educate them. She started homeless shelters. She started libraries to help educate and to lift these women out of poverty. Um, She started countless things, including uh, she was one of those who fought against slavery and fought hard to bring an end to that abomination. Listen to what she said at the end of her life. Oh, Lord, may I be directed what to do and what to leave undone. And what I'm saying to this church, if we wake up and, and we decide to get sober, We're going to look at a world, and we're not going to go, what to do? We're going to go, Lord, tell me what to leave undone. If I dare to believe who I am, we are mighty warriors. The strength of the Lord is in us. We will walk into this world going, Lord, you better show me what not to do. Because there's so many ways that I want to take what you've given me and spend it. Hmm. So that's my prayer. That today you would be encouraged uh, to trust that the Lord wants to walk with you into that struggle that you think is too much. You may find that's the gateway for you to understanding the power of faith, hope and love, and that you would put them on and wear them, and then walk into this world, and let the world see what the church looks like when it wakes up. Lord, we pray that uh, you would let us celebrate now the goodness of your beauty the goodness of your grace, the goodness of the reality that Christ came not only to die for us and remove our sins, but rose again, that we might also rise to this new life that you've called us to be, those that the kingdom of God has come into. In Christ's name we pray, amen.